welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. We are pleased to bring you the message from this week's worship service. For more information about this message, this week's teacher, and to watch or see other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, brother. Well, if y'all would, turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Jonah. Uh, We're continuing in our series on greater love, but we're moving to a new section on love for enemies. And as we come to this book, you know, this is one of those books that I think because of children's books, which are wonderful, and because of things like Veggie Tales, which are also wonderful, this is a book that's gotten a little distorted for us. It's become a book about a fish instead of a book about a grace so radical that it offends of a God who calls his people to extend mercy not just to those who don't like them, but even to the very people who would destroy them. And it's a book that as we read it is going to demand that every one of us ask this question, do you fear the Lord? Do you love him? Or are we a people who say that we do, but in our hearts are really far from him? Here's what it says, starting in verse 1. We're going to read the first chapter. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah, Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper, arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us. On whose account this evil has come upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? Of what people are you? And Jonah said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because Jonah had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. Jonah said to them, pick me up, hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, 
O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is God's word. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we come to you knowing that you are a God who is merciful and gracious, but Lord, recognizing that those are words that we know and truths that maybe we believe in part. But Lord, apart from your spirit, we will never understand that reality in full. And so Lord, we pray this morning, take your word, use it as a sword to cut to the division of soul and of spirit and of bone and of marrow, and expose us as we really are, so that we would see you as you really are, and we would come to you body and soul. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. In 1947, Corey Ten Boom was one of the most famous Christian speakers in the world. She had survived the Holocaust. She and her family, her father and her sister Betsy, had been incarcerated at the Ravensbrück concentration camp because while they weren't Jewish, they had tried to shelter Jews from the Nazi regime when they came to Holland. And while Corey Ten Boom had survived that camp, her father and her sister Betsy hadn't. And when Corey emerged from the war, she had in her head the words of her sister, the words she spoke before she died. There is no pit so deep that the grace of God does not run deeper still. There is no pit so deep that the grace of God does not run deeper still. And Corey Ten Boom began to realize that the reason that she was spared, the reason she walked out of that camp when so many didn't, it wasn't because she was some special person or because she was good. It was because God in his grace and in his mercy, in undeserved kindness, had reached down and plucked her from the depths. And she realized that if God could show that kind of grace to her, then there was no one who was outside of his reach. And so she decided to take the gospel, not back to her home country of Holland, not to a place like the United States where she would have been welcomed with open arms. She decided to take the gospel of God's forgiveness, even for the worst of sinners, to Germany to the very people who were responsible for the death of her family and her friends. But on that particular day in 1947, in a church in Munich, Corey Ten Boom was preaching that message of grace and her eyes fell on a face that she had not expected to see. He was dressed just like everybody else out there. He would have looked no different than you or me, except when she saw him, she didn't see him in the clothes he was wearing that day. She saw him in the clothes that he used to wear. She saw the uniform. She saw the visored hat with the skull and the crossbones. She saw the gun that used to be slung across his shoulder, the smirk that had been on his face when she and her sister had been forced to run naked through the concentration camp center part. 
she saw one of the guards who had been responsible for the starvation death of her sister, Betsy. And when she finished speaking, she saw that man begin to make his way towards her until finally he was standing in front of her with his hand stuck out like this and she heard him say these words, Fraulein, I don't know if you remember me, but I was one of the guards in the camp where you were held. And I know what I did was wrong. And I'm so, so sorry. And I know that there is one in Jesus who could forgive even me, but what I want to know this evening is could you take my hand and could you forgive me too? And Corey Ten Boom wrote that while she knew exactly what God was calling her to do in that moment, in her heart, she did not want to do it. How would you respond? How do you respond when God calls you to uncomfortable places? Jonah, Jonah begins with a moment like that. The word of God has come down in the way it always does with God's prophets, and Jonah has received it, but it's not a message that Jonah wants to hear. It's an uncomfortable call. Because here is where Israel is at this moment. They're in this period where they have peace and prosperity. They're relatively violence-free, but they're hearing from prophets like Hosea and Amos that judgment is coming, that they may be a people who say they fear the Lord and they may bear God's name, but they have been worshiping at a false temple and worshiping by false means and bowing to false gods. And while God had blessed them, that they would be a blessing to the nations. They have turned their backs on the nations and they have instead turned inward on themselves. And God says, I will not stand for it. I'm going to raise up another nation and that nation is going to come and that nation is going to destroy you. And I will spare a remnant, but only a few. So you would expect that when God's word came down to Jonah, it would be a message for Israel. But that's not what God says, is it? God says to Jonah, verse 1, arise, go, not to Israel, to Nineveh, and call out against it, for their evil has come up to me. Now what's shocking about that, it's not just that God is calling Jonah to a foreign nation, which he's the only Old Testament prophet who ever receives a call to go to a foreign nation. It's which nation he's being sent to. Because who have Hosea and Amos told Israel is going to be the nation that's going to come and destroy them? It's the nation of Assyria a nation whose capital city is called Nineveh. God's saying to Jonah, I want you to go and preach to the people who are one day going to march into your homeland and are going to destroy everything that you know and love. 
And if that on its own doesn't make you uncomfortable, what happens next should make you especially so. Because when God's word comes to a prophet, and God is constantly calling his prophets to go to uncomfortable places, you see prophets all through the Old Testament wrestle with God's call, they fight with God's call, but they always go. What does Jonah do? Jonah runs. Jonah takes flight. In verse 3, it says, but Jonah, in response to the word of the Lord, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them down to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Jonah runs because he knows, when he hears that call of God, he knows what this means. You know, we have this myth that we've kind of absorbed as a church, and I don't know where it's come from, but it's this, it's that Jonah doesn't want to go because Jonah's scared. Jonah's not scared. That's not in the text. There's no hint of that in the text. And Jonah actually tells you why he doesn't want to go. Chapter 4, verse 2, Jonah, speaking to God, says this, He says, oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. Here's the reason. I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. Jonah's problem is not that God is sending him to Nineveh. It's that he knows that if he goes to Nineveh, his God is so good and so merciful, so tender even to the very worst, that God's not going to destroy them. He's going to save them. Because God never calls out against the evil of a city unless there is not also a corresponding promise of grace. And Jonah does not want them saved. Because remember, Nineveh's salvation means Israel's destruction. It's an uncomfortable call. And while we may sit here and part of us maybe sympathize with Jonah, The book of Jonah, the text, makes very clear that that is not a feeling that you should have. Because every step that Jonah takes, every movement he takes away from Nineveh and towards Tarshish, which is the exact opposite direction, by the way, it's a step three times in this text away from the presence of the Lord. Four times. The text tells you that every step he takes towards Tarshish and away from Nineveh, Jonah is going not up, not towards life. He's going down. He goes down into Joppa, down into the boat 
Verse 5, he goes down into the belly of the boat and he goes to sleep. Chapter 2, verse 6, he goes down into the depths of the sea where he thinks he's going to drown. Over and over and over, the text is telling you Jonah is not heading towards life. He is spiraling downward towards destruction and every step this prophet takes is one away from the very God he claims to love. It's this warning That whenever we think we know better than God, when we hear his call and we think, you know what, that doesn't sound like life. That sounds like death. That doesn't seem freeing. That doesn't seem joyful. So I'm going to go the other way. What Jonah says to you is every step you take is a step away from the Lord who would save you and care for you. And it is a step down, 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 down to what is truly death. And what we see in Jonah is a man who, while he may know many things about God, his heart, his heart is far from him, isn't it? And every step he takes in the text makes it more clear that that's the case. Jonah runs He gets in the boat, it takes off, and God sends a storm to stop him. And it's a storm that is is so intense, so powerful, so dangerous, that it literally says in the text that the ship is breaking apart, the sides are threatening to buckle, the mast is about to snap, and the sailors are so afraid, they're all calling out to all of their gods, anyone they can think of, and they're thinking, maybe one of you cares. Maybe one of you will hear us and one of you will save us. And they start to do the thing that only men who are really desperate ever do. They throw the cargo overboard, which tells you they're not thinking about the future anymore, are they? They're not thinking about profit. They're thinking, what keeps me alive for one more moment? And where's Jonah? Jonah is down in the belly of the boat, and he's asleep. It's a hint that something is terribly wrong. A couple years ago, there was a story that ended up all over my Facebook feed about a a prostitute who murdered one of the men who had solicited her for sex, and it was a story frankly, was not that remarkable except for this one thing. The murderer had been captured on a security camera. And what it showed was a woman casually injecting a man with a lethal dose of heroin and then stepping over his body as he convulsed, crossing the room, picking up her glass of wine, and then sipping it until he died. The reason that story was making the rounds wasn't because of the murder. It was the callousness with which it was performed. Alarm bells should be ringing in your ears when you see Jonah asleep in the belly of the ship. This is a man who has just turned his back on a city of 120,000 men, women, and children. 
who is walking away from them because he wants them to die. This is a man who has just turned his back on the living God and is running explicitly away from the presence of the Lord. But he's not anxious. He's not tossing and turning in his sleep. He's not sitting there going, what have I done? What have I done? Jonah's heart is so hard, so calloused, he goes down into the belly of the boat and he sleeps a sleep so deep that even a storm that is threatening to tear apart the ship doesn't stir him. And it's only when the captain comes down into the ship and shakes him awake that Jonah finally snaps up and realizes their plight. And then things get worse. The captain shakes him awake and says in verse 6, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us, which is irony because what's happening? His God has made a thought to them. He's paying attention. That we may not perish. He's saying, we're calling to our gods. We're all about to die. Call to yours. Maybe he'll do something. And what does Jonah do? Nothing. He doesn't call out. He doesn't confess what's going on. He doesn't say, by the way, I know why the storm's here. Jonah just sits there. Because he's not just indifferent to Nineveh's perishing, he is indifferent to the sailors perishing too. And it's only when they cast lots and the lot falls on Jonah that Jonah finally confesses what is going on. And when he does, he says something that if we've paid attention to this text so far is absolutely ludicrous. He says in verse 9, I'm a Hebrew. And that's not the laughable part. This one is, and I fear the Lord. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And the sailors, they look at Jonah and they say the thing that Jonah should have said long ago. They say, what is this that you have done? And when you reach the end where Jonah is saying, throw me into the sea and it will stop, you'd be forgiven for thinking that maybe this is where Jonah redeems himself. This is where his heart finally turns. This is repentance. I mean, sacrificial love, right? He's willing to die that they would be spared. But that's not what's happening, is it? And you could tell this for two reasons. This is not repentance at all. First, Jonah doesn't offer them that as a way to be saved. He only offers that to them after they ask him what they need to do. He doesn't initiate. He's cornered. But second... And most importantly, what would repentance actually look like right here? Is repentance throwing yourself into the sea so that you would perish? Or is repentance saying, turn the boat around and take me to Nineveh? Jonah's not repenting. Jonah's continuing on his downward descent into the depths. Jonah's saying, 
I would rather die than see that city spared. I would rather perish in the waves than obey the command of my God. And what reveals his heart to be uglier still is that those sailors, they're everything that Jonah isn't. They care that they're perishing. They're calling out to the gods. When Jonah says, throw me overboard, they actually try to save him. And when they throw him over, it's only because they're convinced that God himself has decreed it. And when the story ends, they're the ones calling to Yahweh, and they're the ones making sacrifices, and they're the ones making vows, not Jonah. So the question should be on your minds is this, is why in the world, if Jonah's heart is this ugly, why does God choose this guy to be his prophet? Because Jonah's the worst. This is a terrible person. So why does God choose Jonah? Because the book of Jonah, it's not written to Nineveh, is it? God sends his word through Jonah to Nineveh because he intends to save them. But the book of Jonah, the book of Jonah is written to the people of God, the people of Israel, who at this moment are saying with their lips, we fear the Lord, but who in reality are living their lives like Jonah. It's a warning shot across the bow of any of us who thinks that we are religious because Jonah is intended as a mirror. God is holding up the mirror and he is putting it in the face of his people and he's saying, do you want to see what your heart looks like? It's this man. It's a warning that tells us that it is possible to say that we fear the Lord and to know a lot of things about him, even to see ourselves as his servants, as Jonah certainly would have, and yet at that very moment also be someone who is fleeing from his presence and going down, 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 down. And the way you know if that is you is this. When God calls you, to go to uncomfortable places, even to love people who may in the end destroy you, how do you respond? Are we a people who are more concerned with the perishing of our comfort than the perishing of people? Are we a people like Jonah who are more concerned with the prominence and the security and the safety of our nation than we are with the expansion of Christ's kingdom? Are we a people who are more concerned with the minimizing of our pain than we are with people that God loves and God made in his image and God in mercy would save and bring to life? When I read this text, if I'm honest, it makes me nervous 
because I'm a guy who makes his living studying the Bible and studying theology and preaching it to you, and what Jonah says to me is that I can do those things and even seem to do them well while my heart is still far from him. And I read this, and I look at the way that I so often respond to God's call. And it frightens me a little bit. Because, and maybe you'll relate with this, I don't just struggle when God calls me to the hard things, when he calls me to love the ones who hate me. I struggle even when God calls me to love the very people who love me in return. I'm a guy who so often in his life has cared far more about whether or not somebody likes me and whether or not I have their approval and whether or not I have their respect, who cares far more about that than whether or not that person is perishing. And there have been far too many moments where I have held my tongue and I have not shared the gospel even though the door was right there because frankly in that moment I cared more about myself than that person. I'm Jonah. This book, this book is a call to repentance. It's a call to people who say they fear the Lord and yet with their lives and in their hearts are running from God's presence to turn and to be those who don't just say they fear the Lord but actually do body and soul. And here is why this should be a book that is precious to you. Is because while it is showing us the ugliness of Jonah's heart and our own, it's also showing us the beauty of God's heart. Because here's his glorious grace all through this text. Jonah's running, but God is chasing him every step of the way. Jonah is going down, 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 and God is going right down with him. When Jonah runs to Tarshish, God sends a storm to stop him. When Jonah is asleep in the bottom of the boat, calloused in his heart and indifferent to the perishing of people, God's the one who sends the captain to wake him. When Jonah is refusing to be exposed and he is continuing to hide, God is the one who makes the lot fall on him. And when Jonah says, I would rather die than see Nineveh spared. God is the one who in mercy and in kindness sends a whale to swallow him, a fish. You know, the mistake that I have so often made in reading this book is thinking that the whale, or not the whale, it's not a whale, the fish is judgment. It's not judgment. It's mercy. God is saying to Jonah, you want to die. You want to continue on your downward descent, but I'm not going to let you. I'm going to swallow you whole, and I'm going to keep you in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights, and when you emerge, you will be a man made new. And the man who ran from Nineveh will be the man who goes to Nineveh, and Nineveh will be saved. But ultimately, what I want you to see is that I'm not just after Nineveh, I'm after you. It's a God who, while we may be indifferent to the perishing of others, 
He's not indifferent to us. And the grace and the mercy that so angers Jonah is the very same grace and mercy that pursues him to the very depths. And it is a grace and a mercy that he extends not just to Jonah, not just to ancient Israel, but to you and to me this morning. Because here is where the gospel comes in. Our evil went up, and God's word came down. And this time, it wasn't in a prophet like Jonah. It was in one who was far, far better. Who went down into the belly of another boat in the middle of another storm that threatened to tear apart the boat and drown everyone inside. And when his disciples came and shook him awake and said, don't you care that we are perishing? stood up and silenced the wind and the waves with a word and revealed himself not just as a prophet, but the one who in the book of Jonah sent the wind and the waves to begin with. The one who while we were going down, 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 he went down with us, down into our sin and down into our shame and down into our guilt. Not that we would be destroyed, but that we, like Jonah, would be seized by him and brought back into glorious life. A Savior who went, not into the belly of the whale, but the belly of the earth for three days, and who, when he rose, says to all who would come to him, come to me, and I will make you whole. I will give you new hearts. I will give you new lives. I will make you what you never were before because I'm the one who takes fleeing prophets and makes fruitful ones. And in the face of that kind of grace, what other response could there possibly be but to bow like the sailors and not to run like Jonah? Because here is one who throws himself into the sea to be swallowed by it, not because he wants to damn a people, but because he intends to save them. Corey ten Boom saw that. When she saw that man's hand extended to her, she could hear the words of her sister, there is no pit so deep that the grace of God does not run deeper still. And she prayed to the Lord, I have the strength to extend my hand. Give me the feeling. And she stuck at her hand and she squeezed the man's fingers and she said she felt the spirit seize her. And she said, brother, I forgive you with all my heart. That happened not because of the greatness of Corey ten Boom, that happened because of the greatness of the one who conquered her. Has he conquered you? In this room, I know that there are people who are all over the map. Some of you may be like the sailors where you're not, you don't know this God, but you are coming to see him more and more around you. And maybe this text is calling you to come to the one who would truly make you alive. Maybe others of you are asleep 
and you're sitting at the bottom of the boat and you don't even realize how hard your heart has become and maybe you need this God to shatter you as he shatters Jonah. And maybe others are sitting with Corey Tin Boom and you are praying even now, Lord, I know where you're calling me. I know who you are calling me to love, but I do not have the strength. And here's the hope of Jonah. There is no pit so deep that the grace of God does not run deeper still. To fear the Lord, to love him, is to obey him. Because where else could this God call you except into what is truly life? Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we come to you thankful that we have a God who has pursued us down into the very depths. One who is not afraid to go to the very people who would not just want his destruction, but would actually kill him. And Lord, you endured it willingly, gloriously, because you intended to save your very enemies. Holy Spirit, we pray, open our eyes and our ears wide to you, and make us a people who don't just say we fear you, but who truly do. In Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.